Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dindi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talia Dendi. Today, our very special guest is Richard Bagdonis. Richard Bagdonis is the best-selling author of Fit for Any Battle, a book which tells Richard's story of defeating stage four cancer and COVID pneumonia by using his groundbreaking new workout methodology for those over 40. It is your guide to implement the same routine, and it has a companion app for both iOS and Android users. Richard has built technology and service companies for over 30 years and currently leads the team at Twin Edge, which creates technology solutions and spins them out into autonomous companies. Richard served as a technical consultant to the U.S. Air Force and to the Pentagon, training soldiers with the USAF's first combat camera squadron on the transmission of photographic and video taken from the front lines of battle. He is Executive Director Emeritus and board member for Operation Turkey, a nationwide nonprofit which Richard founded in 2000. This nonprofit feeds and clothes over 15% of the U.S. homeless population on Thanksgiving. Richard, what an amazing background, and thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Talia. It is my pleasure. So please tell us all about your cancer journey. Yeah, so my family and I like to travel to Mexico. And one of the fruits that I very much enjoy is papaya. Turns out that papaya, every once in a while, has a little bacteria in it called cyclospora that causes, um, you know, basically a Montezuma's revenge, for lack of a better term. And I brought Montezuma's revenge back with me to the United States, back to Austin, Texas, and it just didn't go away. So I went to my uh, doctor. And he sent me to a gastroenterologist. And of course, gastroenterologists, their tool is a camera. And they um, requested that I do a colonoscopy to figure out what was going on. Well, after the procedure was over, the doctor said everything looked great. There was just a little bit of inflammation. And he took a little snippet of it. But he said, don't worry about it. Everything looked fantastic. I'm a healthy guy. I was biking and working out at the time. Uh, I was 45 years old at this point in my life. I'm I'm now 48. And uh, three weeks later, I got this rushed call from his office. And the nurse said, we need you to come in right away. You need to see the doctor. And my schedule was really busy. And I was thinking, well, 
I don't need to come into the office for him to tell me that my colonoscopy looked great. Mm -hmm. So uh, I told them, well, we can do it like a week or two weeks out. And then the nurse said, I'll call you right back. She called me back and she said, no, we need you to come into the office this week. And I mm -hmm. couldn't figure out what it was going on. And I said, you know, just have the doctor call me. And so they waited for me to get home. And the doctor called me. And that's when he told me that that little sample that he took was um, cancer. It was actually um, not the cancer itself, but it was mantle cells that were draining from my lymphatic system into my gut. And it indicated mantle cell lymphoma, this rare type of lymphoma known as a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I've, I learned all of this since. Mm -hmm. And he even told me that I won the lottery. I couldn't figure <laughs> out what, what he meant by cancer was the lottery. Uh, looking back on it now, though, I know what he meant. And it, he meant that at 45 years old, I wasn't going to be having a colonoscopy anytime soon. More than likely, they were going to rec recommend it at 50. And that because we had this colonoscopy, because of this cyclospora, he was able to catch cancer early enough before I was having such physical ailments that would be indicative of the, of the cancer itself. And it might've gone so far as to actually um, kill me before we even had a test. Oh, wow. That is, that's amazing. And it's a blessing also. I, I can understand now why he said that, because like you, like you said, with the colonoscopy, colonoscopy screenings, they were pushing that age out. And now they've since pulled it back in because there's been so many diagnoses of with colon cancer at younger ages. So I'm so happy that, you know, they were able to find that early. Oh, thanks. Yeah, me too. I was, uh, I was in shock, but I was really happy that we were able to find it so we could deal with it. Yes. And that makes a world of difference to how soon you catch it. Um, because as you know, for many people, they don't survive colon cancer. And um, it's just it's just something that we need to be more vigilant about is making sure that people get those screenings in a timely fashion. Absolutely. I've become a big, um, I, I've, I've stood on my soapbox and I've told everybody, you need to go get a colonoscopy. It's not the most fun thing to prep for. <laughs> it's not yeah. the most thing the day of, but it's really helpful to have that information knowing what's going on in our body. Absolutely. And so Richard, how did you share your diagnosis with your children? Well, at the time, our children were quite young. They are nine and six now, but they were six and three at the time. And my wife and I take the approach where we let them know what's going on. We talk to them like adults, knowing that we're raising adults. They're just children right now. Mm -hmm. And so we have to give them information. Otherwise, they're either going to hear it from someone else or they're going to find out through one of our conversations between my wife, Tina, and I. And so um, we planned after school one day to talk to our oldest son, knowing that our younger son would take his cues from our older son named Alec. Mm -hmm. And I recorded the conversation on my phone using the voice recorder app, <clears throat> the voice recorder app on the iPhone. And we told him what was going on. And we said, you know, our body is constantly building new cells. That's how we grow. And in fact, every cell in our body is replaced every seven years. And so 
there's obviously work in our body to, um, you know, form these new cells. And sometimes when it creates those cells, it creates them a little too fast. It creates too many of them. And that's what, you know, is the, is the crux of cancer. It's just cells growing out of control. And I said, and you may have heard the term, it's called cancer. And I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer and I have found MD Anderson in Houston and we are going to be having me go back and forth to Houston. Austin to Houston is about a two and a half to three hour drive. And I was going to be going back and forth to Houston. And I wanted him to know that it was going to be okay. We had the right treatment with the right professionals and the outcome is really based on how well I do and how well our family does in keeping me going and keeping the, the, uh, uh, the workouts, the healthy eating, the healthy lifestyle, and the treatments going. And so we took that recording and sent it to all of the parents of our kids, of our friend, our kids' friends. Mm -hmm. So they had a messaging framework that they could use to talk to their children about my, my situation with cancer. And I, I try not to say my cancer because I never thought that it was personalized. This was never me. This was just something that I needed to get out of my body. Yeah. And so the friends were very supportive and we never had a situation where somebody came up to my, my kids and said, oh, well, your dad has cancer without them saying, you're right. And he's doing great. Nice. I love that. And I love the way that you articulated that information. And so how did your kids respond? Were they okay with that? Were they pretty receptive, especially your oldest son? Yeah. I remember my oldest son asked for a hug. <clears throat> that was the first thing he wanted was, can I get a hug? And I gave him a big hug and I told him it was going to be okay. And, and I, we asked him, how are you feeling? What emotions are you, are you feeling? And let's talk about them because emotions are never wrong. And if we can understand our emotions, then we can provide additional information to help our emotions um, quell a little bit. I love that. And Richard, what advice do you have for other parents out there who may be wondering if they should or shouldn't tell their children? I know a lot of parents struggle with that. Yeah. One of the things that we did was we contacted his school and I talked to both the principal of his school and his teacher. And we talked to my other son's teacher and uh, we explained the situation to them. We gave them the framework of how we messaged it to him. And they were extremely supportive because what they had said was they had other kids that have had cancer in their families and it really ruined a school year for the child mm -hmm. because they were so worried about their parent. They weren't able to focus on their education and it, it really did damage to the child's education. And because we took a more transparent approach, even though it was very scary to bring them into the conversation, seeing how, they, how both children reacted actually helped me in my reaction because I was giving them clear, transparent information. And while they were a little nervous and scared, because I know I was at the time as well, mm -hmm. their reactions were wonderful. And the feedback we got from the school was that they never had an issue at school and their friends at school never picked on them or never brought it up in a negative, in negative light because they all had the information as well. 
that, you know, I can't applaud you enough for that because that is so important. And so I've heard about so many children that struggle, like you said, because they're worried about their parents, you know, and their parents' health, if they're going to die, of course. And, um, Thank you for sharing that because I hope this is a message to parents out there that even though your children may be, you know, little adults, you may think they don't know what's going on. Children are smarter than we think they are, and they can pick up when something's not right. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. if we think back to when we were kids, we knew what was going on <laughs> with our parents because we could hear the conversations. Yeah. We could pretend like we were asleep and hear what's going on in the other room. And that's never the best way to find out something of this nature. Not at all. Thank you for sharing that very personal experience, Richard. It's my pleasure. And Richard, in a prior conversation, you shared with me that um, a clinical trial actually saved your life um, because you had a rare type of cancer. Um, how did you learn about that clinical trial and what did that process look like? Well, if you could imagine, receiving the diagnosis initially caused my wife and I to search Dr. Google for information <laughs> about mantle cell lymphoma. And it turns out, and this is very important for every listener out there, the information that Google has is typically dated in nature. So the outcomes, the treatment options, and even just basic information about various cancer types um, are fairly aged in Google. And there are folks that are, are basically being funded by the federal government to go after and, and kick cancer's butt. It started in the Obama administration, and Biden kept it going with the Biden Moonshot Program. And they picked 400 cancers that they were looking to cure. And mantle cell lymphoma was one of those. And there was a gentleman, and there still is, by the name of Dr. Michael Wong at MD Anderson in Houston who is being federally funded to cure mantle cell lymphoma. Now, I didn't know about this at the time. Google didn't have any information about this. And a good friend of mine, Nick Adkins, started this program where he would hand out pink socks that had little black mustaches on them to people in healthcare to really infuse the idea that their patient that they're looking at is a human first. There's somebody's mom, somebody's dad, somebody's brother or sister, somebody's grandparent, somebody's child. And so um, I reached out to that community because it's a lot of healthcare professionals. And in fact, there was a small group of them meeting in Austin at the time. And I went over and I explained to them what went on. I was crying. I was so scared. And I said, I need your help. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the most vulnerable times of my life because I put myself out there and these were the first people that I explained it to. And I said, Hey, I've been diagnosed with a stage four cancer and I need help finding the person, the right team in the world. I don't care where they are to help me fight this. And so they searched and they found out that there was a Dr. Michael Wong at MD Anderson in Houston. And then we started beating the bushes and shaking the trees <laughs> And it turned out that my mother-in-law, Peggy, her friend, Jerry, had been a patient of this doctor. And he was in a previous trial with this doctor. And that's how I was introduced to him. I was given his email address and his phone number. 
And I sent him an email and he responded right away. And four days later, I was meeting him in his office and he happened to be in Houston, Texas, all of two and a half hours away. What a blessing, because so many people miss out on the opportunity of clinical trials because they just are not aware of them. And unfortunately, you know, they're not really offered as a standard of care also. And they're typically available to people who have really good connections. Um, they're very affluent and those kinds of things. And so I think it's so important for people to hear your story as well about how you were able to find out about clinical trials. And if you could please just give some advice to the audience out there, if there's someone who is considering a clinical trial, you know, what advice would you give them as a first step? Where do they start? Yeah, in fact, I was made patient number one in this clinical trial. Uh, and so I was blessed to have that type of focus on me at the time, being the very first patient through this program. And it was a little scary because the clinical trial required me to spend three hours going through documentation, explaining everything about the clinical trial. Well, I can tell you that documentation um, seems obscene yeah. compared to the treatment I've received because the documentation said it could, you know, it could go in these, all these different directions. You know, there's um, health warnings about it and everything else. And when I got into it, I was a human dealing with humans and they were doing stuff because they loved me. They hadn't even met me before and they loved me because they were looking to cure my cancer. I should say cure the cancer that was in my body, my bad. Mm -hmm. And so my advice to folks that are considering a clinical trial is number one, um, the retail oncology that you would get by just going to a normal oncologist that you found in the, you know, online or someone recommended, they have access to the technology that is fit for the market and approved by the FDA for worldwide release. Mm -hmm. Clinical trials are working on coming up with what medications will be the standard of care in the near future. Thankfully, those clinical trials are listed on a government website. And I'm happy to provide that link to you to, uh, to include in the description of this podcast for folks to go and look up who's doing the clinical trial and what area of the world or the country so you can reach out to them. And my recommendation is just contact them, let them know what's going on in your life and ask for their help. They are willing and they're so excited to meet you because at the time I was made patient number one in this clinical trial, they were hoping to have about a hundred people in the clinical trial, but they hadn't met many of them. And through socializing what happened to me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and other areas, I was able to find 6% of the patients that went through this clinical trial because I broadcast out, I broadcasted out what happened to me and people reached out to me and said, hey, I need help. And so the other recommendation I have for folks is if you need help, just send me an email. I'm richard at fitforanybattle.com and I'll do my best to help you source the best care because it's a way for me to send the elevator back down and help other people come to the area of being cancer-free. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Richard, for being an open book and, you know, sharing all of that information. And I will definitely put your email and then also the link to the clinical trial website in the listen notes. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. My pleasure. 
And Richard, throughout our conversation, my heart has just been jumping because you continuously mentioned support, reaching out for support, asking for help. And you also mentioned your wife, Tina, and how you guys were able, she provided a lot of support to you. Please tell me the pact that you made with Tina. But then also, I want to know, why do you think some men don't reach out for emotional support or other kinds of help? All right, I'll, I'll do them in that order. <laughs> okay. So as I got the diagnosis from the, the uh, gastroenterologist originally, we were both working at home and my office was downstairs and Tina's office is upstairs. And I walked upstairs and I sat down and I looked at her and I said, I'm glad you're sitting down. Um, I was just diagnosed with cancer and her mouth and mine were open agape and we're looking at each other going, what just happened? The world just changed for us. The trajectory of our family just changed. And we talked about it. And what we realized was for us to leverage the power of our brain, I needed to focus on believing that my body was done with cancer. And we just needed to wait for my body to catch up. And any stress around this situation was something that she could withstand because she did not have the struggle of having to go through cancer treatment, but she was adjacent to me and could make sure that I'm getting the right treatment. I'm getting to my treatments. I'm eating healthy. I'm exercising. I'm doing everything I need to do. And so I kind of look at it as I was blissfully unaware of the stress because I was able to focus on just go work out, go ride my bike, go eat healthy, uh, you know, and uh, get to treatment, succeed getting through treatment and then coming back and doing it again and again. And so that pact that we have, which is the person that isn't going through the issue stresses about it while the other person doesn't stress about it means that the person with the diagnosis going through treatment, they can use their brain to control their body. And hopefully, whether it's a placebo effect or it's real, the brain is so powerful that it can control our body. And one of the things that I did is I used meditation to consider that my body was removing the cancer and doing so before, during, and after treatment. Now you asked a second piece, which is why do people and men specifically not look for help and support with their loved ones? I think this goes back to just ego. Mm -hmm. Ego is such a powerful force and it can be used for good, but most of the time it can be used for bad. And the way ego comes in, which is I have a situation, it's mine. I'm going to personalize it. I'm not going to talk about it with other people. I'm just going to hunker down. I'm going to deal with the pain. I'm going to deal with the sorrow. I'm going to deal with the outcomes because, you know, I'm man, hear me roar. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm in control of everything. Well, guys, I have a, I have a message for you. Um, you have a partner, no matter who that partner is, they are there to be your rock provide that stable foundation, and they can be the other side of the pact to help stress about what's going on so you don't have to. Thank you so much for sharing that and sending that very direct message, because that has been one of my concerns is that a lot of men are 
taking on a lot of stress and they're really suffering um, on levels that they really don't have to because they are not comfortable reaching out and asking for help. And it's a blessing to know that people like you and me, we want to help. You know, we want to provide as much support as possible. So audience, if, you know, any men out there, if you're on the fence about asking for help, take it from Richard. And um, I just, I just love your philosophy on that because we all need somebody. We all need support. We all need help. And there's no weakness in that at all. Agreed. I'm in hundred percent alignment with you. <laughs> and Richard, let's, you know, shift gears here. I want to know more about your book, Fit for Any Battle. Yeah. <clears throat> so it turns out Fit for Any Battle um, was a, it started out as a struggle that I was having when I turned 40. There's some magical thing that happens to our bodies when we turn 40 and everything that we used to do at the gym going in hurts us, injures us and keeps us from the gym. And so when I went back into the gym in my 40s, and I had been a bodybuilder, a weightlifter, a powerlifter. Like I had, I had run the gamut and I had done everything that my high school coach, uh, the wrestling coach told me to do about lifting. And when I hit 40, it was all wrong. And so I started finding injuries and I had bicepital tendonitis in both arms. And at one time in my life, I couldn't even lift a coffee uh, cup or a can of soup because it was so it was so painful to do so. And so as I got back into the gym in my 40s, I was making the same mistakes and I was incurring the wrath of this perpetual injury that was flaring back up. Mm -hmm. And so I started playing around with different techniques. I started researching various ways that muscles work. And I started keeping notes for myself on what worked and what didn't. Well, I had shared some of this information with folks along the way. And I had a Google Doc that just had some basic tips and tricks that I had learned. And then as I was diagnosed with cancer, I realized that I had an opportunity to use this as a vehicle by which I was going to use myself as a guinea pig. And I was going to really lean in on the workout methodology. And so I took that initiative to start writing it in book form the month I started cancer treatment. And I used myself as a guinea pig going through cancer treatment and using this exercise methodology. And not only did I withstand cancer treatment, I actually became stronger through cancer treatment because of this workout methodology. And so on January 18th of 2022, the book was published. It became a bestseller on Amazon in four different uh, areas. And the mobile app went out and people started using it. And I'm getting feedback that everybody is enjoying this because it's a, it's a guidebook for folks to go back into the gym. And the first part of it explains my, my health issues and my story to really personalize it and say, I'm not just your coach telling you what to do. I'm your Sherpa doing it with you. Wonderful. And why is working out when you have cancer so important? What is your outlook on that? Well, our bodies need to heal. And the way that our bodies heal is with our lymphatic system, our immune system. And in fact, my, you know, my situation was that the cancer I was diagnosed with was a cancer of the lymphatic system, of the immune system. Well, unlike our cardiovascular system that has a heart that pumps 
and the oxygen from rich oxygen from our lungs, the lymphatic system is a fairly closed system without a pump. The only thing that lets it work, the only thing that lets us heal is our movement that moves the lymphatic fluid, the white blood cells around our body to help us heal. And if we are dealing with a cancer diagnosis and we are just laying in bed, our body isn't working as strong as it can because we're just not moving. And so getting out and going and working out, it doesn't have to be heavy weights. It doesn't have to be a lot of commitment, but just the movements that we've categorized. And I say we, because I was um, helped with various folks who helped me as guinea pigs with the FitFab workout along the way. We have figured out together that these movements help the immune system kick into high gear. And if someone is dealing with cancer, that is a situation for our immune system to kick into high gear and we need to push it there rather than sitting around and, and bemoaning ourselves uh, sitting on the couch and watching TV all day. I'm with you there because one of the things that I had decided right away was that I am not going to lay in bed all day. I'm going to get up every day and get dressed and I am going to do as much as I can throughout the day. And um, prior to me being diagnosed with cancer, I worked out as well. And of course, when I started treatment, I wasn't able to do a lot of the things that I was doing before, but I made a commitment to myself every day to at least go out if I could, if it was warm enough and get a walk in um, or go get on the treadmill, but then also do some light weights as well. And Richard, I truly believe that is what helped me get through my treatment as well as I did. I agree. In fact, um... I was suffering from fatigue, really bad fatigue because of the mantle cell lymphoma. And I would go to the gym at 9 p.m. just after my kids went to bed and as my wife was going to bed. And there were nights where, you know, she's looking at me and she's, she's saying, are you really going to the gym? Don't you just want to lay down and go to sleep? You look super tired. And I told her, I said, I have to go to the gym. I have to do this. This isn't just about a lifestyle. This is about the future of our family. This is the future for me to be there as our kids grow up into adults. And just because I feel like I'm a little too tired to go to the gym, every day I got to the gym, or I should say every night, and I, I sat down on the machine and I started my first exercise. Yes, I was tired, but by the end of that first exercise, the first set, I was kicked into high gear. Mm-hmm. And you touched on a great point. Exercise, it really does help with that fatigue. And then also for me, it was a mental thing as well. You know, if I was starting to feel down, I had to get up and move. I had to, you know, if I could go work out, do that. But it, it's a mental thing as well. And um, I don't think many people make that connection to why it's important also for that reason. Yeah. And our brains are set to think about things and process information. Well, while at the same time, it's also working to control our bodies and control our systems and keep us going. And my thought was by going into the gym, I would work out with my eyes closed. The other people at the gym probably thought I was crazy, but with my eyes closed. And at the time, as I was going through cancer treatment, I would take a deep breath in through my nose 
And then just like a, an, uh, you know, an air conditioning system running backwards, instead of collecting the dust particles and the hair particles and all those things from the house as the, as the HVA system does, I was picturing that I was bringing in cool, fresh air. And then as I blew it out through my mouth, keeping my eyes closed, I pictured little gray bits of dust flowing back out. And that was the cancer leaving my body. And that allowed me to really focus and, and have my body and my mind in control at the same time. And at the same time, the exercise reduced the stress along the way. And so having that mind and body connection is so critical. And that's why with Fit for Any Battle, we say train your body and mind for life after 40 because the two are so directly connected. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And Richard, can anyone with cancer, you know, do this Fit for Any Battle workout? And if so, where do you suggest they start? Well, first off, anyone can do the Fit for Any Battle workout because in the beginning, everybody starts out at five pounds for every exercise. And even the largest, beefiest men that go into the gym and start at five pounds think it's crazy. But each week, we do the same exercises. We keep track of it. And we determine, do we go up the next week to 10 pounds or do we stay at five pounds? And then the next week, if we're at 10 pounds, we increment by another five pounds if we, if we feel up to it. And if, we're, if we don't, we just stay at that weight. And so it's a very analytical way to keep our body in check. And with the mobile app, if we're injured, you just click a button that says I'm injured. And the next time you go to the gym, that exercise the weights will be cut in half. Or let's say you have to go on a trip and you don't exercise for three or four weeks. The app automatically reduces the amount of weight. So that way, you know, coming into the gym, you may have done a hundred pounds before. Well, now you're doing 70 pounds. And this is where ego gets removed from it mm -hmm. because we're not worried about what the other people at the gym are thinking about our exercise regimen. We are here to strengthen our bodies for future health battles. And someone with cancer that is dealing with a lot of fatigue, muscle pain, cramps, um, maybe a, a, a reduced energy level because of food intake, there is a weight that they can do and they can do successfully while at the same time moving their body and getting through it. And so if they stay at five pounds for six months, it doesn't matter. That's your ego thinking that it needs to go up. Yeah. But what we do is we check in with our body and we say, am I able to go to 10? And if so, let's do it. And I, I, I will ask you for half trust and half faith and believe, <laughs> believe me, when you try it yourself, you'll realize that you're able to do more if your mind and body are in sync. You know, I really love that taking the ego out of it. Because a lot of times, you know, with different workout programs, they say that you're, you need to be increasing weight, you know, every week or whatever, because your muscles are not being stressed enough and things like that. But you make a great point in saying, let's bring in other considerations, like maybe you have to travel, you know, um, maybe because of fatigue, you weren't able to work out for a few days, but it's okay to kind of reset. You don't have to force yourself to that next level. And that's what I really like, because that can be discouraging for people feeling like they have to just increase, increase, increase like every week. Um, so I like that you put that in there. 
Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the important thing here is, you know, we may not all have the means to, or the time to have a uh, coach or, um, you know, a workout partner or a, a physical trainer come with us to the gym and go through all of this. Well, that means that there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt about what to do when we get to the gym. Mm-hmm. Well, I've fixed that for us. I've given you a list in the book of these are the exercises that you need to do. These are the days that you need to do them on. And you can pick which day you start each week. I happen to be Sunday night. So Sundays are my chest night or my chest day. I've kind of adjusted my schedule. Now I work out in the afternoons on Sundays. (laughs) Well, every Sunday I do a chest workout and every Sunday I do the same chest workout. And every Sunday, each exercise, I have to think, do I bump it up or do I keep it the same? And um, we're tracking in an analytical way, what our body is doing from week to week to really get a sense as to how it's performing and is it performant in nature? Or maybe there's something, you know, if we're, if we're seeing a degradation in our ability to move the weights, and by the way, there's no free weights. We're not doing anything free weight based because we don't want to injure ourselves. Everything is either a cable or a lever based weight. So that way it's, it's got a particular motion and you don't have to worry about the right um, movement, it'll keep you in the right form. And all of that put together means that you have your guidebook that walks you through the gym and tells you how to stretch, when to drink water, when to lift, when to rest. Wonderful. You have answered so many questions in one book because you're, you're right. A lot of people go to the gym and they're not sure where to start. They just know they want to get started. And this takes a lot of that anxiety out of it. So thank you for creating the book and please tell the audience where they can find it, Richard. Absolutely. So we have a website, fitforanybattle.com. And on there, there are links to purchase the book. It has a link directly to Amazon. However, most online retailers carry it, whether it be barnesandnobles.com or others. And on the website, there's also a link to both the free Android app and the free iOS app for those that use Apple. And that is a companion app that's designed to help you get back into the gym. So you're bringing me with you to the gym and through the user interface, I'm telling you, these are the exercises to do in the order to do them. And one of the things that's the magic in the app is that we also collect a picture of ourselves at the gym and it's just for us. And it's a progress photo. And in future releases on the app, we're going to actually show you what your progress looks like from a, from an actual, here are the pictures that you took along the way and watch how your body has just blossomed with the workout that keeps you in the gym rather than the situation that typically unfolds, which someone goes into the gym, they work out really hard. They come back the next day. They're so, 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 so sore. They can't move. And then they just don't go back to the gym. Well, I'm not looking for you to go to the gym once. I'm looking for you to go to the gym every week. I do it myself. It works. And I'm just super thrilled to share it with everyone. Wonderful. And Richard, before we end, I'd like to ask my guests these two questions. And the first one is, what is something that you've learned in life that you would like to share with the audience? You know, the first thing I would like to say is that health issues will plague everybody on this planet. We all started life as a patient. 
we all end life as a patient. So there's no reason to assume that people don't expect us to have health issues. And the thing that I learned is that if I share my health issue and I encourage others to share what's going on in their life, there is a support group of people, whether they are coworkers, friends, family, acquaintances, that are there to help support and keep you going. If they don't know about it, they can't support you well. Whether it's a just a friendly, hey, keep going, you're doing great. Or in some cases, people will bring food over or they'll help you get to your next appointment. They're there to watch the kids if you have to go and uh, get to a doctor's appointment. And I mean, they're, they're there to help. So share, share often, and keep everybody updated on what's going on. Great advice. And my second question is, what is next for you, Richard? Well, I'm 48 years old, and FitFab is how to train your body for life after 40. Well, as you could imagine, as I transition into my 50s, there's going to be a FitFab 50. <laughs> and so I'll be working on just those adjustments that we need to make as we transition to our 50s. And then, of course, as I reach into my 60s, they're more likely going to be FitFab 60 and then 70 and then 80. Let's hope there's FitFab 100. <laughs> if I get right. there, uh, we've all won. That's right. I love that. And, you know, when you get to those ages, you know, 70, 80, 100, they're still life. Don't just sit on the couch. So I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Thanks. <laughs> and then Richard, um, before we end, you have shared your website, you have shared your email. Are there any other like social media links that you'd like to share with the audience if they're interested in finding out more? Yeah. And whether you're on Twitter or on Instagram, we have um, an account at Fit for Any Battle. So just the way it's spelled, Fit for Any Battle. And those are the two areas that I use the most because I share information of what's going on on Twitter and I will post things on Instagram. I don't do as much on Instagram as on Twitter. So, you know, I know some have an, an affiliation with one and not the other. Those are the two main areas besides the website. Wonderful. And I will put those links in the lesson notes as well. And Richard, before we end today, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience? Well, I really, it's, there's something that I want to share with you. And that is that what you are doing, Talia, is just amazing. It's collecting information and disseminating information to people who are in the most vulnerable position of their lives. They have either received a cancer diagnosis or are going through cancer treatment, or their loved one is going through a cancer diagnosis or treatment. And what you're doing is giving them the resources that they need, because I can tell you from firsthand experience, and I'm sure you have this as well. It's a very dark, cold, scary world when you receive that diagnosis that says, you know, you thought you were doing well in life and everything was going swimmingly. Well, by the way, we're going to throw a, a, a big wall in front of you. And it seems like this massive wall. It turns out that if you sidestep a couple steps to the left or a couple steps to the right, that wall actually gets broken down. And the way it does so is with information, resources, and a support group. Thank you so much, Richard. And I just want to thank you for those kind words. And they mean so much to me, you know, as a fellow cancer survivor and thriver. I believe that if you're able, 
and you get to the other side of cancer, give back in some way. You don't have to be on a platform or anything. Reach out to people in private that you know may be struggling. And so I just want to thank you for that. That that helps to keep me going. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story with you and to your listeners. Thank you, Richard. And what a wonderful story it is. So much knowledge and education that uh, is missing. So thank you for filling that gap. It's my pleasure, Talia. And I want to give a shout out to the listeners before we end today. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.